in this situation. He took a pinch in the back, he got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Please. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with the Germans Bob Pearl Harbor? The castration of the major league baseball managers we know it. Ask me about my winner. What's going on, everybody? Another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and the screen is just probably going to go. So this will probably be the last uh, live broadcast I do via means of Facebook as I look for another uh, live entity, and obviously judging by the viewership and the attendance of those that regularly listen to this program on Facebook, nobody's going to know about that anyway. But um, thinking about a couple different things going on in the world of sports, and as always, anything that's on your mind, please throw my way. I was thinking about the history of 15 seeds in the NCAA tournament pulling off the upset and winning against the number two seeds. It's happened, what, this is the 11th time I believe it's happened. Um, there's a series of, of games if you think about and you know that it's been, um, it seems to be almost like a regular thing. You're watching it more often than not. You're seeing a 15-team win every year. Obviously, at Oral Roberts last year, not just winning the first game, but winning the second game and getting to the Sweet 16, pretty similar to what you saw this year from St. Peter's of New Jersey. And the question is, you know, from the seeding process, is, is it something that, um, needs to be fixed. Maybe the job that's being done when it comes to quantifying which teams are the best and deserve to be in the spots and the positions that they're in um, may not necessarily be the right way. St. Peter's, yes, they barely got by Mammoth. Mammoth almost beat them, almost won that automatic bid. But now you're looking at the possibility of maybe them being misseeded to a point where, you know, should they have been a 15 seed? Well, you know, listen, hindsight's always 2020, and any time a seed that high ends up winning and moving on to the next round, then you start to question the whole seeding process. And when they win the second game and get to the Sweet 16, then you start to think that, hey, is this really the 15th? best team out of the 16 teams in this particular bracket. And, you know, does college basketball have to do a little more vesting in regards to how they should seed their teams? The other element is the realistic possibility of that 15 seed moving on into the next round. And I think that's something that has to be thought about. Um, is it really realistic that one of these teams will make it into the Elite Eight. St. Peter's has done a great job. Obviously, they deserve all the credit in the world for everything they've done. And as you look at the bracket, as they moved up through Kentucky, through Murray State, and it looks like they're going to play, to, um, I believe it's Purdue. Yeah, Purdue beat Texas. So they're going to play Purdue in the Sweet 16. And a win would put them in a position where they'll play maybe uh, North Carolina, maybe UCLA. And is there a realistic shot, chance, opportunity that this team is going to make it to the Final Four? I don't really believe in it. 
I'm not in that spot where I'm saying St. Peter's has got a chance. Listen, they're a great story. Certainly being a New Jersey dude in the state of New Jersey, yeah, you certainly would like to see them advance as far as they possibly can. Well, you know, going up against Purdue, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a tough task. Now, you said that when they played Kentucky. Murray State had a very good season this year, earned their seventh seed. I think they were a very worthy team of the seed that they had in their particular bracket. They beat them too. It, anything's possible. But I think you'll, you'll start to talk about St. Peter's of Jersey City, New Jersey in a different realm if they're able to win this particular game. And like I said, they've done enough. They've done enough to make their fans proud, local people proud. News 12 is proud, right? All these different uh, local entities in the state of New Jersey and that area are proud. But if you want to gain some national notoriety and start talking about this team as being a classic team, maybe like a George Mason that you remember from years ago and the miraculous run that they had in the tournament, they got you got to win this game here. You got to beat Purdue. We'll see how it ends up turning out. But obviously, you look at the amount of times you know Oral Roberts what they did last year. Florida Gulf Coast, and what year was that? Was that 2003, I think, when they uh, when they ended up uh, winning not only the the fifth as, as the fifteenth seed, but won their second game too to get to the Sweet Sixteen, and it's something that hasn't happened outside of Oral Roberts and Florida Gulf Coast. So St. Peter's is already in esteemed company, but looking at it from a logical perspective. Do they have a chance to get to the Final Four? Sure. If, if they're alive and they're playing a game and they haven't lost yet, then anything's possible. And anybody that's seen the Mighty Ducks, anybody that's seen Hoosiers, anybody that's seen the Bad News Bears, anybody that's seen any of those movies, or you know, major the major leagues of the world, you know, movies of players that you didn't think had the talent as the top teams. You even think of the NC State team led by Jim Balvano in, what was it, 1983? When they beat Virginia and they beat, you know, by Slamajama and the Houston Cougars, you know, there's stories set for that. There's precedents set for moments that happen like that. And listen, if you're looking to get college basketball on the map, because I got to be honest, if you follow college basketball over this past season, there hasn't been a whole lot of excitement. Yes, Mike Shushevsky's last run, you know, could his uh, career have ended yesterday? Would have lost to Michigan State. It would have. Duke can't found a way to win. They're still alive in the Sweet 16. When Duke gets eliminated, whether it's in the final game or any time before then, Coach K is done coaching. So that's a good side story. But outside of that, you're not really getting a whole lot of excitement this year. You got Michigan, you know, trying to make a run as an 11th seed um, with the backdrop of their coach acting like a, you know, like a petulant child. You know, after that Wisconsin game. Now, listen, I think everybody deserves forgiveness, especially if something that, you know, you didn't hurt anybody. You didn't commit a, a, a crime. You didn't have to serve time in prison. So, Jawan Howard and his actions, yes, they were, I didn't like it. I, I thought it was a very bad look for the sport, a very bad look for him, but I'm willing to forgive. And that's kind of the moment that we're in. Is there retribution? Are you going to. Or, um, you know, is there, uh, are you, are you going to get to the point where we talk about redemption? And I, that's the word I meant to say. You know, is Michigan going to go on a run as an 11th seed with 
without that much expectation. North Carolina beating Baylor. I think that's, you know, you're wondering how far this North Carolina team can go. A North Carolina team that beat Duke earlier. Um, Hubert Davis has done a very good job um, kind of changing the rotation there, uh, focusing on different players, and he's got the right players going in and out, and they're playing probably at the best level as they, they have all season. But I, I don't see a ton of excitement in this tournament. Like I said, I look at North Carolina, I look at Michigan, and obviously Duke with the last run with Coach K, you know, I don't I don't see a team that I'm like, man, this is an all-time college basketball team. So moving on to, to number two today, thinking about what's going on in the world of sports. You think of MLB free agents, and is there, and that's the question that I want to ask, is there a free agent that is intriguing enough that can make a difference for a Major League Baseball team right now? Obviously, you know we're a couple days in the spring training, but less than a couple weeks away, or just a little more than a couple weeks away from the start of the 2022 baseball season. Opening day is right around the corner. Uh, Michael Conforto is still a free agent. Tommy Pham is still a free agent. Uh, Mitch Moreland, which I think is a, a, a player that has been very underrated over the past couple years. Um, Red Sox, uh, most, most recently with the Athletics. I, I, think, I think he's a player that has some ability. He's a free agent right now. If you're looking at his past numbers, he's had 20 home run seasons, whether it's with Texas or with Boston. Um, 2021 season where he didn't play much. He had some injuries that he was battling with with the Oakland Athletics, and he's getting age 36. Um, not an impressive 700 OPS for this past season. Uh, he, he's a player that from an offensive standpoint, especially you're talking about NL with the DH and the flexibility, um, there's the discussion that continues to exist about the San Diego Padres wanting to trade Eric Hosmer. And I don't know if there is that big-time free agent that you could pop in there and say, all right, well, let's trade Hosmer, because I don't know if there's that much of a desire for first basemen out there in baseball at this moment. So I'm looking at free agency and the amount of free agents that are left, and most of them are you know, the minor league contract type of players. You know, Albert Pujols still hasn't been signed. You, know, you figure with the DH going to the NL that somebody would say, hey, you know, let's give this guy a crack at maybe getting to 700 home runs. You know, that's a sad career that may very well end. Similar to Barry Bonds, by the way. And you, I could have this discussion, and you know, I know there's so many people that listen to the show that hate Barry Bonds. Listen, I'm going to stand up for the guy. I'm, I'm going to stand on that hill until I'm knocked down off of it. Barry Bonds was one of the most exciting, dominant offensive talents that the game has ever seen. I don't care how he got there. We're never going to see what he did again. And Barry Bonds was blackballed from baseball at the end of the 2007 season. It was decided that you know the owners colluded with each other. They didn't, Maybe the commissioner had a say in it, but nobody signed Barry Bonds. The Giants didn't bring him back. And you know that was the Giants' prerogative. They're the team that I, I blame the least in, in regards to this. You know, as a free agent, you have the right to retain or not bring back any of your free agents. And they made a decision that they weren't bringing Barry Bonds back. But the fact that nobody signed him off of the season that he had when he wasn't ready to retire, he didn't decide that his career was over, was an absolute disgrace. A bigger disgrace than you could say anything that Barry Bonds did over the course of his career. You know, doing steroids when steroids are enabled and nobody give a shit whether you did or didn't do it. 
you did steroids during a time where baseball was being praised for getting the fans back in after the lockout and the costing of the 1994 baseball season because of the selfishness between the owners and the players. And steroids, while they were being ignored for the first five seasons that they were blatantly going on in the sport, all of a sudden Congress gets involved and baseball changes its tone. Barry Bonds not only belongs in the Hall of Fame, but belongs on a Mount Rushmore of the top offensive position players to ever play in baseball. And maybe he falls a little bit short. Maybe he's not Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, Ted Williams, Lou Gehrig. But he's right up in that echelon. So, you know, I, I veered off of my, you know, respective topic. But I just can't stand the negativity surrounding Barry Bonds. And like I said, not only does he belong in a freaking Hall of Fame, but he belongs on that pantheon of top offensive position players to ever play Major League Baseball. So the, the question I'm going to pose, is there anybody along the free agent realm that can have that much of an impact on an MLB team? Jorge Soler signed with the Braves. That was a solid move for them. In fact, Kenley Jansen was really, in my opinion, the last big free agent to come off the board. Um, not counting Trevor Story. You know, not counting uh, you know, Carlos Correa. That all happened before. It was pretty much Jorge Soler and Kenley Jansen both signing very important contracts to their respective teams. Jansen makes the Braves' bullpen one of the best in baseball. How many other teams could have benefited from having Kenley Jansen? I don't know why it wasn't more of a battle. I don't know why there wasn't two-year deals thrown in the mix when it came to bringing in this pitcher. And Solaire, well, yeah, I mean, I mean, did you watch the World Series last year? Now, listen, does it mean the Marlins are going back to the World Series for the first time since 2003? Uh, likely not, but as I stated on my previous show that I did, we were talking about how the NL East really isn't set for any particular team. I think the Braves are the team to beat until they're beaten. I think the Phillies have made themselves a case where they can be right up in the mix. Certainly can win that division. Certainly can be the second best team in that division. The Mets, for all the firepower and everything that they did in the first you know, 10 days or so of free agency... They have left a lot to be desired since. They have a bullpen that still isn't very good. They have an offense that really is missing that one more bat. Now, is that one more bat going to be Jeff McNeil coming off of a down season? Is that one more bat going to be Robinson Cano coming off of his second suspension for the use of PEDs? I don't know. If they have it in-house, good. But if they don't, there's no excuses. They were in a position to add one more impact bat, and they didn't do it. Their bullpen which was not very good last year. They lost Aaron Loop and didn't really replace him. You know, Chasen Shreve, who was okay in 2020 with the Mets, is not going to be on the level of Aaron Loop from 2021. And it's hard to replace those numbers because Aaron Loop was an all-star. That was as good as he performed. He didn't make the all-star team, but he should have. He goes to the Angels, greener pastures, gets more money, a three-year commitment. Good for him. Mets didn't replace them in that, in that rotation. I look at the NL East and I'm concerned because I don't think the Mets did enough to separate themselves in spite of having now the highest payroll in Major League Baseball. Marlins closed the gap a little bit with the signing of Soler. Who's going to play center field? Okay, you're going to put Jorge Soler out in center field for the first time in, what, five, six years? Maybe. You know, Is he going to be all right out there? He's probably more suited to be a DH at this point in his career. 
of SEL Garcia was a very good signing. I think from an offensive standpoint, they're going to score some runs. And guess what? This team could pitch. This team could pitch with anybody in that division. So the last thing I wanted to bring up, and I think I think this is an interesting topic, and I, I always want to throw it your way because what, what do you feel about these particular issues as they go on in the world of sports? What's the role in regards to a fan? And I'm going to use the NBA as an example. You're sitting courtside. What can you say? What can't you say? What is over the line? Yet another incident that happened yesterday where a player, um, Joseph Nurkic, who wasn't playing, he was in street clothes for the Portland Trailblazers, confronts a fan after the game, grabs the fan's phone, and throws it. Now, is that too much for the player? What did the fan do or say? Now, listen, there's going to be taunting that exists. You think of Spike Lee at Madison Square Garden. You know, if you're an opposing player against the Knicks, and let's say the Knicks are a good team, which you know they're not right now, but let's say the Knicks are a good team, and you hit a big shot to beat the Knicks late when it comes to a major game at MSG, you know, it's very good if you could go out there and just, you know, look at Spike Lee. Say, ha ha, in your face, buddy. Spike Lee is going to be right on the court side cheering his team on. Just like there's a lot of similar fans for all other teams. You know, Drake has become synonymous with the Toronto Raptors being on a sideline with his season tickets every game. Now, what, are you, what is it that you're doing that's too much if you're a fan? Well, listen, you know, racism shouldn't be tolerated. You know, there was a, you know, you, you don't want to use any derogatory terms. You don't want to talk about a player's mother, a player's uh, family. I, I think that should all be off limits. But at the same time, your spectators, uh, if you're sitting courtside, a lot of what you say is going to be heard by the players. And players at some point got to toughen up a little bit because they're going to have to understand that not everybody that's on the sideline, particularly if they're playing in a road game, is going to necessarily care for them, is going to necessarily be rooting for their team. They're going to be rooting against their team. So naturally, they're going to say some things that are negative, some things that are not 100% loved by the opposing players that are playing on a court. So yes, I think there comes to a point where the players do have to be able to embrace some negativity. You can't sit there and say, hey, every time a fan says something, I have to react to it. Now, once again, you know, some you know, st racism, uh, you know, certain slurs that are thrown certain ways, talking about somebody's family, uh, death threats, or, you know, threat for any sort of harm. You know, all that stuff should not be tolerated, and I think all that goes without saying. But at some point, and I'm not just talking about basketball players, if you're a Major League Baseball player, you know, you're, you're, at, a, you're at Yankee Stadium and you play for the Red Sox, well, you know, naturally, the fans up in the in, in the front that have the most access or closest access to the field to be able to say something to you more than likely will. And it, and you have to at some point, as a professional, accept something. Understand there's going to be some negativity, and part of it goes to the point that I've been making about the softness of society. Now, all of a sudden, 
we get a lot more offended. We get offended a lot more easy. And there's things that would hurt our feelings. They hurt our feelings a lot more than they would in the past. The expression used to be, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Okay, well, words are starting to become a lot more hurtful. And I haven't noticed the change. Like I said, it, you know, if you if you ever follow some of the comments and things that people have said to me live, I laugh at them. I never get to a point where I'm like, oh my God, I'm really bothered that somebody would say that. You know, even in my Marcus Stroman defense rant, when Bob Brenly made the do-rag reference and, you know, a lot of people were, were, were upset because they didn't think it was racist. Well, it, it was racially motivated. Maybe it didn't come from a racist thought. Bob Brenly didn't say, hey, I'm going to go be racist. But he certainly was ignorant by using the fact of what Marcus Stroman chose to wear as something derogatory about him as a person. He, he was not Tom Seaver or shouldn't be put in the same category as Tom Seaver just because he wore something on his head. That was racist. And there's a lot of people that didn't understand that. And you know what? Sometimes you open the floodgates and people are going to go out there and say the nastiest and meanest things to you. I, my, my feeling about it is if I could brush it off my shoulder and I'm far from a professional, I'm far from being compensated much for anything that I do or speak. But if I could brush it off my shoulders, you're telling me that professional athletes that are getting paid millions and millions of dollars can't. I have a little issue understanding that. I have a little issue with the fact that, hey, even if you are a little soft mentally, you don't have the money and the resources to be able to go out there and get the proper therapy or help or the proper voice in your corner to encourage you and keep you from reacting or being offended or bothered or hurt by derogatory comments. And, and, I, and I don't believe I was created any better than anybody else. That's my last message here. So once again, we're going to try to find a different means to record live. So this will be the last live show that I do in regards to Facebook. I want to thank everybody that has tuned in for the last, I don't know, four years or so that we've been uh, doing these live programs. Like I said, we'll still share it. Uh, we'll share the YouTube videos and a podcast you know, through all forms of social media, but you know, we're gonna, we're gonna, you know, we might get into Twitch, we might get into different forms of live broadcast where it could be a little more interactive. And in all honesty, I mean, to do a show for a half hour like you just did right now and not have anybody comment for one second, not have anybody have anything to say, even if it had no relation into anything that I'm saying, is a proof is proof that this means of communication is not working. So we'll be back with you uh, probably, let's see, probably next show we're going to do is, uh, I think we're going to do a show Wednesday morning as we get set to go to Florida. We'll be down in Port St. Lucie and West Palm, catch a couple baseball games, talking about everything going on in the world, the baseball, sports, and Unify in America. So we will be back with you thir uh, Wednesday. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side. Chris Bryant was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day. I have many leather-bound books in my apartment. It smells of rich mahogany. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the friggin' World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on living my life.
as the biggest Major League Baseball manager apologist. It'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park. Not even supposed to be here today. Especially prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. I'm a dude playing the dude disguises another dude. There are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Connie Knack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. And what side of the spectrum they're on? Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside to hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at They put their tail between their legs and decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. You damn well right, better give him a contract extension. You damn well right, better make him the manager over the next series of years. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion.